uh, hi, Anthony. Welcome to the uh, Laughing Monkey Music Show. How you doing, man? Man, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with me, man. I'm excited. Right. This has been a, a really crazy, crazy year. And uh, th I just appreciate you giving me a platform to reach out to everybody and uh, and speak to them and encourage them. Let them know, man, uh, music is going to get us through this thing, man. We just got to... Uh, we got to figure out a way to navigate this thing safely and um, and get everybody back together. We're uh, we're super pumped to see everybody, but we want to be safe. And um, I know I, I have tons of friends that are musicians that are uh, are touring all the time. I know they're missing everybody, um, but it's going to come back. Uh, I saw a little blurb the other night of of um, uh, a guy accepting an award on. Um, country music and he said man i really think music is what's going to save us through all this stuff and i i totally agree with that um yeah. he said felt like politics and uh stuff had really divided the comp the country but he said man i feel like music is going to uh, save us and uh I, I i follow that sentiment uh it's a super super powerful force man it brings people together it transcends culture i, and I agree and that's a weird thing like I think musicians, some, some don't want to do politics, and some do. It's, it's very <laughs> divisive, right? And I support, I mean, you're, you're a musician, so you express yourself, so to not do it, it's not being who you are. But yeah. then if you don't want to share it, that's also being who you are. It's, you know what I mean? So there's yeah. both sides of it. But the, the only danger is, if you don't share it, are you selling yourself short? My, I think I'm frozen here. Yeah. I just here? think it's, uh, it's just, there's nothing like music in the world, man. It, it's, it's been a part of my life since, since yeah. I grew up. Oh, family was musical. We're all from down in the Delta in Mississippi. Uh, and I guess we were what people would call porch pickers. My family never really did anything professionally. My, my uncles and aunts, um, they all sang and played. As far back as I can remember, there was music in the house. My grandparents were dancing around. We were listening to albums. Um, they weren't uh, necessarily musically inclined, my grandparents, but my, my mom and my her sisters and brothers, they all played, man. And it was so weird because <laughs> I thought everybody's family did that growing up. And I didn't realize it until I got older, I would invite some of my friends over or whatever. And they were like, Oh my God, your family's amazing. And I'm like, man, they do that all the time. Let's sneak out and go, you know, drive the car and go do something and get out of here. And uh, awesome. I got older. I, I started realizing that, Hey man, this is like something kind of really special and unique um, with our family. Um, and so and honestly, man, I never sang or played around my family until I was already up kind of playing in a band. I, I was always really embarrassed around them. They were just supernaturally gifted, man. And uh, when I told, finally told them that I was kind of singing with a band or something, they got really tickled and excited. Um, my uncle and aunts were, um, uh, my aunt particularly, uh, she's about 10 years older than me. She was the first person that was kind of showing me guitar chords and stuff. And so they turned me on. She was kind of into, you know, the classic rock stuff. Like, um, um, I think the biggest influence probably she gave me was Kiss. Like, she got Destroyer when I was about six years old. And I remember going in her room. <laughs> she had the poster on the wall, uh, the 1976 poster. And uh, uh, she had destroyer and i went in to listen to it i remember god of thunder came on and it scared me like i ran out of the room and then i was like what in the world is that i gotta go back in there and so i was i went back in and from then on i was like a kiss fanatic man for the next uh extended portion of my life uh, 
we listen to all their records. My cousins and I all grew up listening to that. Uh, but she turned me on to other stuff like uh, Boston and uh, Foreigner. She was listening to Southern rock stuff like Leonard Skinner and stuff. They all played. Uh, they were more kind of acoustic oriented. I think my family just around the house, they played gospel and uh, um, R&B and rock. They were kind of well, well versed. They could do a lot of different things, but they kind of taught me at first acoustic stuff. They were listening to like Neil Young, James Taylor and things like that. And then I kind of ran into Kiss listening through her records <clears throat> and my cousins and I kind of got into that. And I think that's what kind of warped me. I started, you know, grabbed my tennis racket and jumped on my bed. Thought I was when Kiss Alive came out, I was in concert, man. You know, I loved it. That's and really cool. It was. It was so. It was so fun. We still laugh about it. We still, you know, when we all get together, we still listen to music or a Kiss song will come on, and we'll like to all fall out laughing and just go, "Oh my God, we listened to this album so many times in a row in her bedroom." Um, but uh, I think they were my biggest influence, man. I didn't realize it. You know, for a long time, people asked me my biggest influences. And as I grew up, you know, I started finding other music and stuff and listening to like Led Zeppelin and, you know, all the classic stuff, Bad Company, Aerosmith, all that kind of stuff that we all grew think, up on. I think vocally, Led Zeppelin is an easy thing with you to come up with comparison to your oh, voice. He was one of my favorites, man. I loved him and Janis Joplin. And, uh, you know, as I got as I got older, I kind of, had other influences growing up like my mom listened to a lot of ray charles i love the the soul stuff like otis redding and things like that they were kind of i guess part of growing up and i didn't realize they had influences on me but i kind of started backtracking after i'd had some experience and started kind of thinking about all the things that we had listened to and all that kind of stuff but yeah robert plant was he was still like to me uh i'd never had a chance to meet him or 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 participate in any kind of function where he was part of it but he was probably <clears throat> one of my one of my biggest i mean i just i i just identified i guess vocally where he was at you know when we first started <clears throat> i met keith and the guys they had already kind of uh, had a local band that they had put together that was called lycanthrope you know after like the werewolf kind oh, of yeah <laughs> it was kind of a two guitar thing and it was kind of uh you know like a, a judas priest or an iron maiden kind of heavier vibe and uh uh patrick francis the bass player and i went to high school together and he and the guitar player keith douglas were really good friends they grew up together and they've they've known each other actually since they were probably eight years old so they those two guys the original members of the band have been friends since they were children and patrick and i were in high school together and he kind of had approached me i was i was knocking around in a little local um you know, neighborhood band. And uh, he told me that they were looking for a singer uh, and asked me if I wanted to come and try out, you know, and, and they invited me over to one of their rehearsal things. And I just remember being so nervous, man. I thought they were so much more advanced. They were a little bit older. I was still in high school. A couple of the, these guys were already out and out of high school and, and they had had some recording experience and stuff. So uh, and I remember going over there and I, I was going to play like kind of the, uh, play up the acoustic thing. And I went over there, I, I brought my acoustic guitar and I sat down, I think I played like, um, Desperado by the Eagles. I was playing it on the acoustic or something. And they said, man, that's cool. But man, you know, any Aerosmith or some Rush or anything. <laughs> and I uh, kind of put me on the spot. I said, you know, I think I could probably, I could get through it, man. You know, if y'all show me, but, um, I don't know. There was just something about when we bumped into each other, 
the four of us and we played together, it, it just, the chemistry felt good. We all kind of clicked, you know, personality wise, we felt like we, you know, got along kind of immediately. And, um, it was just like the craziest ride that's ever happened, man. I can't believe we're still friends. You know, those records and everything that came out was 30 years ago, man. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. It's the same four guys. Um, and uh, we've had some crazy experiences together, man. We've been, you know, on the top of the mountain, you know, shouting how great it is. And then we've been kind of down through the dark, the uh, dark valley, man, where things got kind of quiet and, and scary. And, uh, but through it all, we've, we've always remained friends. We've always been like family, man. There, I, I have one sister. So those three guys are, are the closest thing to brothers, you know, that I would have They're um, they're just amazing dudes. I can't say enough about them. And, and the, the, the fact that we were still friends, we never had any kind of really huge blowout where we were just kind of over everything or anything. We, uh, we're like, uh, we're like any other group of people that were, were close. You know, we had moments where we would get, get after each other pretty good. Um, but we were lucky that our, our friendship always, you know, was first and, uh, and we were respectful of each other. And, um, man, it's just been wild. When I, when I get a chance to talk to people and like do this, this kind of thing through zoom and stuff and get to think about all the memories of that, it just puts a huge smile on my face, man. We had some of the most incredible opportunities and times that we shared together. I mean, it's just crazy, man. It's just unbelievable that we got to do something like that together. So, well, the fact that you guys are actually part of so many other people's memories too. is, is yeah, crazy. Man. I, I know where I heard, I know I can tell you exactly what I heard Phantom Rider. Like what point is, you know, you have, you have, probably a good 20, 30 songs in your life that are, that are moments. Yeah. You know, and, and that one of the songs, I mean, you know. Oh, man. Well, so, that means us, man. Uh, we, we could ne have never done it without people supporting us. And uh, we've always, um, we've always just thought about how, how much we owe to our hometown for launching us, man. The, our, those, those high schools, um, Keith and John, the guitar player and, and drummer went to one high school, big high school in Memphis, and Patrick and I went to another one. And so when we kind of got together to do our first couple of gigs, we kind of immediately had a built-in following. Like all the people that are, we went to school with and everything would show up and they'd get up front and they're the ones that started the little chant, Tora, 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 you know, because we were wondering if that was even going to work. Um, we had a friend, her name was Kelly Coffee, that had <clears throat> listed a name a whole big list of names for the idea for the the band name and uh tora tora of course came off the van halen women and children first record it was a little 30 second intro in there and she had that down and we were like yeah man let's you know let's try that one and we went to do this gig downtown in nash uh not nashville but uh, downtown in memphis there was a place that we would go and um they had an open mic jam kind of thing for young uh underage bands and stuff and we went and did it, and sure enough, man, people walked up front and started doing that the chant. It was kind of like the toga chant out of Animal House. <laughs> <laughs> so we just said, man, that might really stick. That might work. And uh, it was just uh, it was just amazing. They they always supported us. Our, our hometown did that, and they, they would always show up and be kind of the loudest and the rowdiest. And, you know, at times, sometimes, you know, when you're high school age and all that kind of stuff, 
everybody's kind of puffed up and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes the, the, the turf thing, they even didn't kind of get along, but they would show up just to come to the show and then they'd kind of have their little falling out or whatever with each other. So it was funny when we look back on it, it was kind of like, you know, being in a movie, man, we just, we didn't you really... like make your own scene though? Musically though? Um, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, I can't claim that the, the tour guys did. There was a great scene in Memphis going on. We just happened to be there at the right time. Um, there was a lot of activity with um, producers in town that were helping mm -hmm. band do pre, <clears throat> excuse me, do production deals and shopping them. They had a, uh, uh, there was a few members in the community that had kind of really rallied and got together these things like producer showcases where it would last through a weekend and all the bars would showcase the local talent and stuff like that. Local radio uh, was supporting local musicians doing local radio shows. Yeah. And um, so we, uh, we were kind of, it was kind of a perfect storm. Uh, and there was a guy named Mike Glenn that was one of the, uh, the club owners on Bill Street, he had a place that was about a eight or 900 seat venue, uh, an old theater that had been renovated. He came uh, there, he was doing boxing, uh, traveling around with a bunch of boxers and he came in and started doing some boxing things in the, in the old theater. And uh, the guy that owned it said, hey, you're doing such a good job of bringing people in, why don't you just stay here and manage the place? And uh, he started letting in uh, local bands and stuff. He would stack up three or four bands together and let underage kids. There wasn't really, at the time, there wasn't a, a place where if you were a high school age person, you couldn't really go out and see original music unless it was some kind of radio sponsored, you know, jam or battle of bands or something like that. And so he kind of opened his doors and gave people places to come and play. Um, and we owe a lot to him. We, we actually did a little hat tip to him in our, our latest video, the, the son of a prodigal son on the last Bachelor of Bill record, he came to Bill Street. Uh, and we weren't in the in the Daisy, but we're right down the street. There's a place called uh, WC Handy's Blues Hall. It's where we shot Walking Shoes, the very first video for Tour Okay, Tour. yep. And we went back there to and shot Prodigal Son, uh, a son of a prodigal son. And Mike showed up. He came in, he showed up, he was in like a suit. I uh, had his hair slicked back. I mean, he was really I'll funny. I'll have to man. watch it. I'll have to watch it again. I've, see, I've seen the video a few times. I just. When we, uh, when we, um, when we first met him, um, you know, he was, he was kind of a character, man. He walked around, he had a kind of a wad of cash in one pocket and a pistol in his other pocket. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> still. Kind of, uh, and we thought of him as a little, uh, a little more seasoned, as, as you know the years went on we talked to him after we really got to know him and stuff he wasn't really that much older than all of us but he had just had some more experience and stuff it kind of had already kind of been out and a little more worldly than we were and uh but he was there i'll look and see i know i got i grabbed some uh some photos of it when uh we were shooting the video so maybe i could uh i could forge you something like that so you could kind of see what he looks like that'd be cool um he was uh he was just a great character. He was a great supporter of us. Uh, he gave us some great opportunities to open for other bands. And, you know, we, we got to the place where we could headline that venue and sell it out. And he would let us come in and, and do shows. You know, I think when I first went there, uh, he was doing a, a, a local jam night. The, the local music store would provide a backline. Uh, the local radio station promoted this show there was a DJ named Malcolm Riker uh, who 
really supported us, helped us a lot. Um, and he was there as a guest uh, uh, MC or whatever. And I think he could get up and do like three songs, three songs or 15 minutes, and then they'd pull the plug. And the, the great thing about being in Memphis was, uh, and, and especially him having the, the radio station that he had is, it kind of broadcast over a bunch of states. So Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, he was hitting a big, you know, market. So we had bands that were showing up for, to play those uh, Amro jam nights, man, that were from all over the place, man. It was, it was some of the best musicians, you know, around the mid South area that were showing up. So we got to know them. We got we kind of groomed in that scene of kind of seeing what everybody was up to. And, um, it was just a great time. It was, we definitely, I think, um, Memphis kind of felt the LA, um, uh, strip effect in Memphis, uh, Bill street. Definitely. There was a, there was a surge, you know, a lot of activity of band, young bands and stuff that popped up. They were all kind of doing, uh, original music at, at, at around that time that we were coming along at, but it was good, healthy, I mean, it was definitely competition, but we were kind of all rooting for each other. We knew if one band was kind of doing good, it would kind of raise everybody else up and get attention. And, you know, producers were looking around and trying to find people to work with. And um, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, we're still friends with a lot of those guys that we grew up with. Uh, it's funny, like our band, we're all still buddies. But uh, uh, John, our drummer, is playing in a band with a guy named Tim Dills. And uh, we started out playing opening shows for Tim when we were little kids. Tim had a band called Dots back in the day. And uh, I think they may have been our first paying gig. I think they paid us like 50 bucks to <laughs> open up for them. And we thought it was awesome. the coolest. We were like, you know, we loved them. They were super talented dudes. And they were already kind of up and, you know, established and, and, and doing shows, traveling a little bit and stuff. And they were nice enough to to uh let us do some shows with them and then we continued our friendship for i mean since then we've we've been really close to them for a long time so um but yeah john's got a, this thing now uh if anybody's listening or watching or whatever uh called fever tree that's another original group that he kind of does on the side um and they're they're doing some really great music and stuff so he's doing that kind of as well as the tourist stuff you can post that link too yeah So, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been this amazing journey, you know, um, we feel, uh, very fortunate that we got to do it. And so, uh, you know, we were together for, I don't know, a couple of years and then we were just lucky enough. We had this opportunity to work. Uh, we had won some studio time from one of those competitions to go into a studio and record. And we started working on an EP and, um, uh, we worked with this guy, Steve Howe first. He had a place called Powerhouse. It was kind of a, a place at his home and he kind of helped us get launched. And then eventually we ended up working, doing a production deal with Ardent Studios. And that's how we kind of really ended up getting the record deal and all that kind of stuff. We did a, we had like a little five song EP called To Rock To Roll that we put out when we were, you know, just starting out. Um, Keith, our guitar player, was uh, pretty business savvy. He went and uh, <laughs> called on all the local uh, record stores and asked them if we could put our stuff in there on consignment, at, like by the register, and see if we could sell it. And man, we sold out all of our our little cassettes. And that, there was like a little demand for it. We started getting airplay on the radio, and 
you know, art and the studios where we had been recording had asked us if we wanted to do a production deal. And so we did a deal with them and they ended up shopping us to all the, the record labels and that's how it happened. And that's how we just took off, man. That was, uh, that was kind of the beginning of the band, man. So, wow, that's really, uh, I'm, uh, speechless right now because how quickly that came together for you guys and how, how organic, um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. The, I kind of left out one little portion of the story, man. We had a uh, we had a place uh, that we rehearsed. It was a warehouse, and it was like right in the center of town, right in the middle of Memphis. It's right next to our Coliseum. Um, it was next door to a Coca-Cola factory. So um, our guitar player's father had had rented this space, uh, and he was put storing some things in there. It was actually fifty-five. Uh, gallon drums they were empty and he was he had them in there and we asked if we could rehearse in there and uh, um, we ended up pushing all those drums to one end of the room uh, both ends of the thing had a, a bay door on it and but we pushed one, all of them to one end and put plywood on it <laughs> and built a bay. and so we actually kind of created our own little space for people to come and see live music it was kind of uh, underground kind of thing I guess you'd call it nowadays uh, yeah kind of grassroots place but um that's the scene I met earlier when I said it. Yeah, I know you guys did something like that that's the scene yes man I was and referring it was, to it was crazy because um we were kind of looking back on it in hindsight we weren't thinking of it at the time but it was kind of you know we we're kind of like little entrepreneurs man uh we had yeah. this uh we had a place where it could fit man probably 400 people or something I mean it was big um, we put a PA system in, we put a lighting trust thing in, we put these, <laughs> we built, uh, our logo out of two by fours and painted it and hung it in the ceiling, man, with like glitter all over. If that thing would have fallen, it would have like killed somebody. I'm not kidding. I can't believe I'm, when I think back on it, I was like, man, it's a wonder it didn't take somebody out. But anyway, we kind of built it and, um, we would actually advertise it on the radio. We would say at the warehouse, come and see, you know, the band and that local DJ Malcolm Riker was one of the guys that was helping us. We, he had kind of taken a, a liking to us. He, he, he really helped break us in the regional kind of market because uh, he put our song on and it got into the top five requested songs and it was Phantom Rider. That was a song that kind of broke us out. Uh, it really championed you. It was on the, the EP, it was a different version than you hear on the, the Surprise Attack record. It actually has piano playing on it. The producer played the piano on it and all that stuff. So it was a little bit more organic sounding. It was much more produced yeah. on the Surprise Attack record. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the, that was the, the song that the, all of our friends from high school and everybody loved that song. They were like, man, this is it, you know? And, um, but... Uh, at, for those parties, man, Malcolm would advertise. He would he would plug it for us and say, "Go and see the band at the warehouse," you know, or whatever. And our song would be playing on the radio. And what we did is we got a couple of local college football players from Ole Miss to work the door, so they were our security. Uh, we would collect money. We would give them all the beer they could drink for the night, and and then we would just say, "Hey, man, you know, if anybody gets rowdy, we want this to be a place where everybody can come and hang out." If, if anybody puffs up or they, you know, they start a turf thing about whatever, two high schools being together that used to happen or three or four high schools at that point, 
uh, we would just say, just take them out in the parking lot, you know, let them, whatever goes on with it. We don't want anybody to get hurt, but just don't let them start anything in here while we're trying to have music and all that kind of stuff. And man, it worked out. People used to come in, they'd bring coolers, lawn chairs. It was all underage kids that they'd roll in, set up themselves in the building and we'd do a show, you know, and, uh, we didn't have them that often. So we made them kind of, it was always kind of an event. The very first one we did was a, was a, uh, Halloween party and everybody came dressed up and I mean it was just so cool man it was people just went out in the nth degree and dressed up <laughs> and uh great great memory uh, a lot of fun and we had a lot of fun in that in that that warehouse we actually showcased for record labels in there they came in and we had the sound system well uh, there were some offices in the front and uh and it had a stairwell that went up and and you could oversee the whole warehouse and so we built a little place for the a and r people to come and sit we built a bar like literally upstairs for them with the pa system and so they came in early before anybody got there and they just sat there and watched and people would drug their coolers in and they come in and bring their lawn chairs and everybody was setting up and then we would just jump on stage and do our thing and uh the guy that signed us to a and m told us he said i knew i was going to sign y'all he said, I flew into Memphis and he said, when I got in my rental car, I turned the radio on and your song was playing on the, on the radio. Like when I got in my rental car and he said, I just knew I was going to offer you guys a, a deal with the, the record label. And so, uh, yeah, but he was there that night, you know, he came to some of those showcases and, uh, he was one of the guys that, that, uh, just seemed the most genuine to us. We, after every party, because it was in a, uh, a big warehouse space, uh, there were there was a bunch of those bay doors there and about five or five thirty in the morning trucks would start pulling in so we would have to go out in the parking lot after every party and go clean up the pizza boxes and the beer cans and whatever people had done outside we had to get it out of the way so the trucks come in and that guy from a&m records actually stayed and rode around with us we took one of those drums 55 gallon <laughs> drums and put it in the back of a truck and we'd just go around and clean everything up and <coughs> excuse me and he stayed and that really resonated with us. We said, you know, everybody else was really nice, but he seemed like the most genuine guy and hung out with us. So, um, it was just really fun, man. It just, it brings back a lot of memories and we were really lucky that, um, you know, we just never really took it for granted. We just said, Hey man, this could end any second. So let's just go have a great time, do this thing together, you know, travel and take it all in, man. And, uh, that kind of is, has been our motto man that's just kind of how we went and we all stayed friends we've all kind of stepped away or stepped back at some point um and not from being creative but just we got focused on our families like everybody had children and stuff and we said hey we want to step back and make sure we don't miss something um be around for our, for our families and stuff and uh just a few years back um around 20 uh, 17 or something the planets just lined up where we said hey man I really think we've always been talking about doing some new music and stuff and that just was the perfect time to do it uh, our bass player Patrick um, had kind of gone through a, a cancer scare and um, he got a full clean bill of health they found um, the aggressive cancer very early and they got everything and they said man yeah, as long as you continue to get your scans you're, you're clear and you're good to go do whatever you want to and we were just, of course, he had a second uh, lease on life, a perspective of that and just said, man, let's go jam. Let's, you know, he said, let's get together and go do something. And um, we just, 
um, we felt the same way. We were so excited, you know, cause we're all close, really close, still stay in touch. And, um, uh, so we went and played the monsters of rock cruise we went and did that back in 2017. And then right after that, we were contacted by frontiers records about doing a, a project for them. So that's kind of what led us up to the bastards of bill project and getting to, you know, go in fresh and new and, and record new music. And it was just awesome, man. It was so cool. We were kind of, you know, nervous. We were wondering what it was going to sound like and what it would be like for all of us to just do something. We didn't want to go back and like, you know, pull any old ideas or anything. We just said, Hey, let's just walk in, walk into the room fresh, just like we used to a long time ago and just come up with something brand new. And, uh, we were just so excited. As soon as they all started playing and everything, we were just like, man, this is, this is it. This is Tora Tora. This is, it's us four just getting in here and hammering it out, man. We're going to do this thing. So, uh, and so we just, we're owe them a lot of gratitude to giving us a platform uh, to reach back out to the audience. Um, we knew a lot of the bands on the Frontiers record label. I had heard about it for years through, um, we were really good friends with Jimmy Jamison from Survivor. Uh, he was from Memphis and uh, he had done some solo work with them a long time ago. So I knew the name of the company and everything. And and then as we talked to him uh, just about the process and the project and all that kind of stuff, we, they just felt like a really great, great fit, you know. So we were we were thrilled for that. And um, we did the recording back in 2018. The record came out in 2019. Uh, we played about, I don't know, 20 something shows through 2019 and uh, up until, I think our last show was in February this year. Um, and I've played two acoustic shows since then, but it's been very, very quiet on the, the home front uh for the band but we're all still right excuse me writing and recording and working and uh you know we're still having fun together i mean we still just you know we have a stack of ideas um we had studio time booked back um in march and in may and but we, unfortunately we weren't able to get together to do the rehearsals and all that kind of stuff so we're just we kind of just put everything in hold we're doing a lot of stuff uh through technology now, you know, affords us opportunities that we didn't have when we were little kids. So we've kind of been trading out all of our stuff through uh, files and Dropbox and we transfer and all that kind of stuff. So, <coughs> excuse me, we're having fun that way. We're learning a lot uh, uh, of how to kind of acclimate ourselves to the situation that we're in right now. But uh, we're still excited, man. I still love music, man. I still, I'm, I'm a, actually, my, my day gig is I'm a, uh, professor man i'm an entertainment business professor so i teach kids about the music industry i after um um being with torah torah and then um being on the road and everything i kind of came back and I, I actually went to work for the record labels for sony and rca and um worked in music publishing and i never thought i would be a teacher man i like i i literally left high school to do the rock and roll life um but when i met my wife i went back and got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree in the entertainment business and uh, and I just had thought about the people that had helped me when I was growing up the studio owner John Fry down in Memphis that owned Ardent Studios and uh, my first manager Richard Sanders was uh, they were just incredible mentors they watched out for me in the mu music industry they they taught me about the the industry and they also helped me after I the Torah Torah run was over they helped me in other ways 
uh, professionally uh, that introduced me to relationships that helped me with all these other things I was doing out in the industry. So I just was thinking about it and I just said, I want to be that guy for somebody else, man. If somebody's excited about the entertainment business, they want to know about it. I want to try to at least share one perspective with them. Not that I got the end all be all experience, but, um, but just to share it and encourage them. It is, uh, the, the music industry has afforded me so many crazy, crazy adventures, man. Uh, and introduced me into so many different crazy characters and stuff that, uh, if anybody wants to pursue it, I want to encourage them. I think, um, they're at a really unique, um, time in history with technology the way it is and the access that they have to the audience and to individuals. I mean, just being able to have the access that we do blows my mind nowadays. Um, but I'm excited for them. I'm excited for the next generation of, of people, the, the musicians and the, the people that are going to go on and be like entertainment business professionals and stuff. So, um, it's been wild, man. This has just been the craziest journey. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just can't believe that I get a, a, get a chance to go do it still. I mean, I still love it that much. What I was going to tell you a second ago is I, I still remember sitting on the edge of my bed, strumming the chords to Phantom Rider, man. I still remember that, that just that opening chord, you know, and there was a friend of mine, his name's Thomas Howard. He wrote the song with me. And he actually wrote a lot of songs on that first record. He lived down the street from me and he used to walk his dog every night about 10 o'clock. And I had knocked the screen out of my window and I would go out my window, you know, after bedtime, I would, I would go out and we'd sit and talk about music. He loved like, uh, yes. And rush. He was into like the progressive people. Uh, and he liked the Beatles, of course, you know, some things that we would talk about. And I was always talking about Led Zeppelin and stuff. You know, you were laughing about Robert Plant earlier. Uh, so we kind of had, but, you know, talking about, progressive music and the blues and all that kind of stuff and but we became really good friends and man we're actually friends to this day I just saw him at our last performance in Memphis and and we talk on the phone and see each other and um he wrote on um Phantom Rider he wrote on Be In There which was another kind of ballad song um he was just a really great lyricist uh he was really good musically but I remember talking to him and he had just stacks of notebooks of lyrics and stuff that we would look at. So I did a lot of music and melody stuff and he had lyrics. So we kind of combined with each other and we wrote, man, there's a no telling how many songs together. I mean, I can't even, I, I couldn't count right now, but um, he had a big influence on, on our band. He was a, he was a big part of the success of it because uh, the Phantom Rider song really, really, I'm not kidding it. It really kicked stuff off for us at home. So That's that's really good. I mean, that you actually did a really good job answering everything. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, oh. can you hear me? Yeah. So yeah. I'll have to edit this part. I'll have to edit this part. So I I don't know. My picture froze, but you you're there. You're a professional. Gone through a trooper here, like. But I can uh I can cut it out part. So I actually have a couple other questions. Maybe you just want to go back into them to finish up, and then um. Sure. The the, the last few I have, and then you can just kind of do your thing, which I appreciate. You're so good at it. Is your albums is is some of the albums you had, like on iTunes, like you know, like here, and what albums you had, like, I don't understand how they came out, because after a while, America, I know that Revolution was supposed to come out, didn't, and then now on iTunes, there's Bombs Away, and then there's um, Before and After, which almost sounds like it's like earlier, like rough cuts and stuff. Yeah. And those... Beale Street, your Beale Street is awesome. I can tell you, man, that album, it literally feels like it picks up right after uh, Wild America, like with no time oh. in between. 
Thank you. You know, I mean, your, your voice is strong, the guitars, the riffs are just, I mean, it, honestly, it really is. Cause I, I listened to it side by side. It was fantastic. And, um, and then, of course, the acoustic thing is really nice, too. Um, oh. But it's crazy how strong it is. Oh, thanks, man. We were super nervous. We wanted to do a good job. Um, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, influence and inspiration, man. A lot of that album, honestly, I know we say this, and uh, we really mean it, man. The, the, the audience helped us write that. Uh, that opening song the sons of zebedee we were thinking about the warehouse man we were thinking about um the community and culture of music how it brings people together where um you know for that moment we're just all together man it's not uh it's not you're not thinking about uh your health and your bills and all the things that are stressing you out we're just in the moment together and um we really thought a lot about our experiences, even the, the first little teasers on the Rose of Jericho, we were thinking about all these crazy cast of characters that we kind of, uh, the, the original title of that song was going to be rock and roll ain't dead yet. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we started just thinking about, started swapping all these stories and stuff. Keith and I, he had actually come up here to Nashville to do, uh, work on songwriting with me just at the house. And, uh, we were just telling stories and stuff and that kind of kicked off the whole, uh, lyric process of the the record was thinking about all that stuff and um we're just so appreciative man of their support man through through all the years and uh but yeah the 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 bastards of bill record we worked with jeff powell we recorded at sam phillips studio in memphis and jeff actually worked on wild america he was an assistant engineer and he was young he was like our age back then um a young up-and-coming engineer so he was almost kind of like a member of our family we've known him for 20 or 30 years man um and he just told us we talked to him about we said you know i said hey man i'm not the like little 20 year old you know screaming kid from 1989 man I'm, i got some mileage on me and he said man don't worry you're in good hands he goes just come in and do what you do we're gonna make it sound awesome and we actually went in and recorded a lot of that live <clears throat> and that's why the record feels kind of raw the way it does is uh we were you know under um time constraints and budget constraints of just being there and budgeting i, I mean literally like just me going back and forth from um from nashville and <clears throat> and financially and uh so we tried to get as many of those takes live the bass drums and rhythm guitars and then keith and i kind of went in and touched up some stuff so it was a fairly, excuse me, quick process. Excuse me one second. Let me see here. Sorry about that. Um, no, no need to. I appreciate you talking. Um, but yeah, so that, the, that record was a lot of fun and it felt really natural. And um, Jeff just made us feel so comfortable and we didn't, it didn't feel like it was any kind of weird process. We just kind of went in and had a lot of fun doing it. And um but uh, yeah, the, the record was so fun, the whole process. And, um, you know, that was just the beginning. Now, we have, now we've, we've done those songs. We went out and promoted that record. And now we have, you know, new ideas and stuff and things that we're thinking about and can't, the kid that we can't wait to share. You know, it kind of, I don't think any of our, anybody in the band, any of our creative juices ever kind of turned off. Even if you tried to do that, I don't think you could do it as a creative person. It just would make you crazy, you know? Uh, Keith was always working on stuff and I was always working on stuff. And, um, 
Um, but when you ask about the albums, yeah, a lot of those are kind of outtake demo things. We we would write a lot of songs for those records. That the Surprise Attack record, we probably wrote seventy or eighty songs for that project. Wild America, we worked on that for two years while we were touring. So we had stacks and stacks and stacks of music and songs for those records. Revolution Day was another one uh, that we had worked on for almost two years uh, while we were uh, traveling and supporting Wild America. And, uh, you know, it's challenging uh, as as a group and with what was going on with music at the time. You know, there was kind of a shift from the, the 80s stuff into like the uh, alternative music and all that kind of stuff. And we were trying to, you know, stay our course man we kind of i think we did pretty well of always staying true to our our sound and stuff but you kind of you wanted to do the things that made uh people that captured them and got them interested in you in the first place but also from a creative standpoint we were saying we don't want to do you know play walk and shoes 10 times in a row for the record we want to you know we want to try some different things and i think we started kind of branching out man you know wild america we grew up a lot from touring so much we became really a lot more confident in our abilities as just individual players you know uh doing 10 or 11 shows in a row at you know out on the road for two years straight man you get really tight the the band gets tight you get more comfortable with your your the ways to push yourself and and the way to use your your abilities and stuff so we got more conscious about that. And I think you notice it between the surprise attack and the wild America that, I mean, I was still doing a lot of high notes, but I didn't do it every song. You know, I realized real quick after that first record, I was like, man, God, I got to sing this like every night. And after doing that night after night and doing promotional activities and interviews and stuff all day long, it's like, man, that starts wearing you, your instrument out. Uh, so I was a little more aware. I've kind of got started getting a little more selective with it. Um, and, um, and also melody wise and all that, we were, we were having a lot more, uh, I think just growth from showing the influences and stuff that we had from record to record. Um, but a lot of those that you see that are on uh, Spotify and, and iTunes are just outtake, you know, like little demo things that weren't, they wouldn't be anything that we had, um, um, wouldn't have been uh, uh, used for the, the masters or for the, um the things that were coming out on a and m i think on some of those even you hear like a guitar drop out and one of the thing and we did some like home demo recordings and things like that so yeah, that was the before and rock one or something it's called That's yeah like before and after that one feels more demo-y you can hear yeah. uh yeah um the production level is just totally different yeah. Yeah, and it was fun. I think some of those things we just wanted to share. <clears throat> we thought people that had kind of followed us would really get a kick out of hearing how the thing started out and then where it went, you know. <clears throat> so that was a lot of fun. And um, But, yeah, there's still – there's a couple of things floating around that I got to find. Um, we kind of – we used this um, – uh, this opportunity to kind of dig around and look, and there's some, there's some like, uh, songs and recordings that – that I still can't find that I remember some titles and things that I talked to Keith and them about that I was like, man, can anybody find a version of this? I wanted to hear the song. And it's really funny. You think we would have documented that stuff a lot better back then, but we were so caught up in the moment. I mean, I've got just stacks of CDs and cassettes and all kind of stuff upstairs and, you know, tucked away uh, little ADATs and all kind of stuff of ideas and things. So eventually maybe some of those things will work their way out, you know, 
that'd be fun. But um, anyway, do you have any other things I could answer for you or any other questions? I just, this is the last thing for a wrap up and then what you're doing now. So talk about the acoustic thing you're doing. It sounds really cool. Um, if you guys are gonna do any streaming events or anything that's going on, and then like I said, at the end, I'll put all you guys underneath it. The, um, um, page of all your links and stuff to kind of help push the merch and kind of, you know, that's kind of the goal. This is kind of help the music industry and kind of what little I can do, you know, yes. is, right. that's my, that's, 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 that's told the game bars. Like I got, I, mean, I think, um, uh, you know, the YouTube show, uh, produces like a pro Warren Hewitt. Yeah. He's one who got inspired. He's actually going to be my first show. It's been hard locking it down, but he's actually said he's going to do it. Um, his studio assistant is already done one with me. Um, I'm doing one with Venom, the Great. other version of Venom, um, yeah. which is heavier. I did one with um, Musical Youth, the singer. Great. He's out touring. So I'm doing various types of music, but I'm, I want to bring an awareness of all these different types of music and all these bands. And you guys, at least it's a lot of rock. I, I mean, I'm like probably close to the same age, same generation. I got a lot of rock yeah. in me. So, you know. Well, man, I can, first of all, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to talk to me. Uh, anybody that's out watching or listening, you can go to tortormusic.com. That's uh, our kind of our website landing page where you can go. It's got access to all of our social media. Uh, you can uh, find me at Anthony Quarter on Facebook, my artist page. I'm on there all the time. And I do live streams. Uh, I've been doing these things Sunday sessions where I do it from a back porch or in the living room or something. Uh, it's actually kind of just therapy, man. I miss playing and singing. So I jump on there and play a few songs. Normally right around sunset. Uh, we call them the, the Sunday sunset session. Uh, as far as the band, we don't have any plans for shows or live streams right now. We're kind of just waiting to see how this um, this next little spike of everything happens here right around the holidays. But uh, we'll keep everybody posted. Please keep up with us on social media. That's the best way. It's, it's us. It's me on there interacting with you and talking to you. Um, and Keith is really active on Instagram. I don't know if y'all are following him on there, but he's he's on that. Um, but you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we got a YouTube channel you can sign up for and check out some uh, videos. Um, and um, you can find us on Spotify. We just we're getting some of our data from Spotify. I think everybody's announcing it. Their their year in review. So uh, you guys can go in there and find us and go check out um, the Bastards of Bill. We also have a brand new um, unplugged CD that came out uh, and and vinyl. It looks like this right here. If you guys want to go check it out. Uh, we nice. recorded in Memphis last June at a place called Lafayette's. And um, we just did a deep dive, man. We went in. We did a few of the songs that you guys would probably recognize on the, that we let out, like Phantom Rider. Uh, but we did uh, Time in the Tide off Revolution Day. We did Lights Up the River and Son of a Prodigal Son off the new album. And there's a track on here called Candle in the Stone uh, that we had never done before. So we did that one live. It was really fun. We went and kind of dug around and found some of the songs that we thought would be fun. We had never done an acoustic record before uh, or even done a live acoustic show because we always want to crank up. When we get together, we always turn the amps like wide open and everything. But um, we talked Keith into it and he went and sat down and it was so fun, man. We loved it. We, uh, we may have a surprise for you guys on this. Um, there, there may be an opportunity for us to get get you out some more of the content from that coming up soon. We're kind of checking that out right now to get, we're going back through everything. So 
we just initially had kind of picked these five as kind of our favorite ones that we we enjoyed that night. Um, but yeah, you can find us at toratoramusic.com and uh, you know, you guys just stay hopeful out there. Uh, music's going to bring us together, man, and we're going to get back out there and be in the same room together and hugging each other before you know it. So you guys just uh, take care of yourselves and, and take care of each other, okay?